today. Good morning, North Shore. It's good to see you all here today. Woo! A lot of y'all slept in today. Nine o'clock wasn't so many folks. It is good that you are here with us this morning. If you need a Bible, uh, our ushers are ready right now. They're just going to start coming down the aisles, and what we do is you raise your hand, we get a Bible into yours, okay? So uh, just raise a hand, just let them know. Otherwise, you know, get your Bible apps up, and we're going to roll here in just a moment. But before Daniel and I dive into um, our time together this morning, we just wanted to let you know that we understand that today more now than ever, uh, being a parent um, just is hard. You just kind of need all the help you can get. And so our kids ministry just wanted to make sure their children's ministry wanted you to know that they recognize that and they want to get in your hands as many resources as possible that are going to help you be a better you as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, as, a, as, a, as an uncle, as an aunt. And if you're just in that role of raising a child, we want to help you. And we're just going to show you a little video. And I got to tell you the significance of the very first number you're going to see hit me really hard because it, that that number for me, now that I have one that's about to turn 18, that number has shrunk so short. And so guys, take a look at this and just consider the time we have and how well we can use it. Let's watch this. From the day your child is born to the day they graduate, you have 936 weeks. 936 weeks of soccer practice and homework and teaching them to use deodorant. 936 weeks to instill values, to build character, and to prepare them to face the world. You want to be a great parent, and we're here to help with each moment of parenting gold. Driving your fourth grader to practice, saying goodbye to your 10th grader as he's walking out the door, eating tacos in the kitchen with your seventh grader, tucking your toddler in at night. These moments happen every week, and we want you to be aware of the time you have left, because when you are, you do more with the time you have now. We cue you with easy, just-in-time ideas of things to say, things to do, and things to think about to connect with the heart of your child. Our cues are grounded in God's big story, so your child can discover the power of faith in those everyday moments of life. Every cue fits the context of your child's developmental phase. We cue you when your high schooler won't leave their room, your middle schooler won't pick up their clothes, your two-year-old won't stop talking, we help you understand these moments, and we help you connect. You only have 936 weeks. You can't afford to waste them. Parent Q, it's what we do. Download it for free today. From the day your child awesome. is born to uh, the day they graduate. I'm not a parent yet, but someday that will probably be useful to me. Uh, so I see the value in it. Uh, nah, I'm uh, just kidding. But, I'm Daniel, and I get the pleasure and just the true blessing of working with your middle school and high school age students every week, um, and it's been awesome. I've been doing that for four or five years now, and it's been really great. Uh, this is a new guy around town. Uh, you might not recognize him. His name is Damien, and uh, he's our Connections Pastor here, and I'm just messing around. But we are just really excited to be sharing with you. Um, and one thing I love about this month is that it's, it's our family month, and um, our family extends more than just our relatives and it extends to our entire church. And also the church isn't just North Shore, it's the whole world. And we have the opportunity this morning to um, pray for someone who doesn't go to our church, but I know she's going through a lot right now. And I have a friend who his mom was diagnosed with some pretty serious cancer at the beginning of this summer. And this morning, like right now, she's in the middle of a surgery to hopefully have all of that removed for her. And I would just love, if, love it if we could lift her up in prayer and also pray over this morning and this message, and then we'll get diving in, okay? So let's bow our heads. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity, and thank you so much for who you are. 
God, we just want to lift up Lily to you as she's going into this surgery, Lord, yes. and as she's in the middle of this, that her body is reacting well, Lord, and that you're giving the surgeons and the doctors wisdom to what they need to be doing to help her body and help her heal. God, we just pray healing over her, and also, Lord, we pray over her whole family, Lord, as they're sitting through this procedure waiting. Um, that's got to be crazy, nervous, and anxious, but God, we just pray that um, you give them peace and you help them to understand that you're in control and you're guiding the whole surgery in this morning, God. So we thank you for that. Lord, I also just want to lift up this morning to you. Me and Damien have been working together to listen to your truth and to come and to present it to our congregation today, Lord. So I just pray that you help us to speak boldly, help us to speak bravely, but also help the congregation to um, have ears to listen and soft hearts to our message today this morning, Lord. So we pray all this in your name. Amen. 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 Uh, thank you, guys. That really means a lot to me. Um, me and Damien, now that we're, we're ready, uh, we're really excited to share. And actually, me and Damien have known each other. Well, I guess we've been around each other for quite some time now. If you want to throw that picture up there on the screen. Yeah, look at that. So this is the summer of 2007. You can, you can find Damien. He's right there leading our group. But I am the kid that decided that the green shirt was not my, not my color, I guess. And so I'm in the gray jacket right down there. And that was us. Uh, that's over 10 years ago now, just about 11 years ago. And so me and Damien have been around each other for quite some time, but... You remember that. <laughs> but um, but uh, we actually never really knew each other. We never really knew each other that well. But throughout this process of writing this message together and listening to what God has been saying, we've gotten to know each other's hearts really well, and we're really excited to come and present that to you this morning. Mm. So um, let's just dive in. We've been talking about Discover Past this month. And the path that we're talking about, me and Damien, are, is the path from Jerusalem to Jericho. And that is the story of the Good Samaritan. And instead of reading it, if you want to follow along, it's in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm not going to read it, though. I'm going to tell it like a story, kind of student ministry style. Um, so I'm going to story it, and then we're going to dive in, and we're going to try to ask and answer three questions that this story poses for us this morning, okay? Cool. So uh, yeah, let's, let's dive in. So the story of the Good Samaritan goes like this. This man of the law wanted to challenge Jesus. So he asked him a question, and he said, it's a classic question of what must I do to live forever? Jesus answered him, and he's like, well, you know the law, what does it say? And the man said, well, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, good job, I'm proud of you, you know that. Go ahead and do that, and you're gonna be fine. But the man of the law wanted to justify himself, the Bible says, and so he asked a follow-up question. So he's like, Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And Jesus doesn't give him a direct answer. He actually gives him a parable, and the parable goes like this. There is a man, there's a Jewish man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it wasn't a very long journey, but the path, the road, was a really, really dangerous road. You see, it was known for people like robbers and thieves and, and people to come in to rob you and to hurt you and to leave you on the road kind of helpless. And sadly, all this stuff did happen to the Jewish man. And while he was on the side of the road, half dead, in need of saving, a priest comes by. And normally that's good news. But this priest, when he saw the man on the side of the road, he didn't help him. He decided to step to the other side of the path and kind of walk on by. Then a little bit later, there is a Levite, or better known as just kind of a religious man who knew of God and had duties in the temple. He came along, and he saw the man on the side of the road. And everyone thought, this guy will help him. But actually, he didn't help him either. When he saw him, he stepped to the other side of the path, and he walked on by. And then finally, a third man comes along, and he's a Samaritan. And when he sees the man, something's different. The Bible tells us he's filled with compassion for him. Mm. And so he doesn't just leave him to be. He actually goes to him, cleans his wounds, bandages them, puts, puts the man on his own donkey, travels with him to a hotel, talks to the manager and says, look, here's a bunch of money. I want to give this man a room. I want to give him food. I want you to take care of him. And if he ends up charging you more than what I've given you, just let him do whatever he needs to do. I'll come back in a couple days and I'll repay you whatever he owes you. Now Jesus looks at the man of the law and he says, so which one of those three men was the neighbor to the half-dead hurting Jewish man? And the man of the law says, the one who had mercy on him. 
Jesus says, ends it with a challenge, and he goes, now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And so this story is amazing. It shows us a really awesome, cool example of an amazing, just almost unbelievable act of love. But what it also does is it, it gives us a couple things to question, to ponder, right? And so the first one I want us to talk about today is this question, is it ever okay not to love? Is it ever okay not to love? How many of us know the answer? We should all be raising our hands. How many of us know the answer, right? <laughs> if I ask you, is it ever okay not to love, we would say no, right? We all know this, right? But we have a problem. We all know it, but sometimes we really don't act like it, do we? Hmm. See, what I mean is we get ourselves in situations where we suddenly deem people or, or the situation we're in as okay for us not to love. An easy example would be like for the kids in the room. If you're at school and one of your friends says something mean to you or does something that hurts you, you don't want to be their friend anymore. You don't want to be nice to them. You don't want to play with them at recess. You don't want to share your lunch with them. <laughs> and so it's really easy to understand from that perspective that we get in situations where we suddenly deem people as okay for them not to love. And it happens at much more advanced stages in our lives, right? It doesn't just happen in elementary school, right? But you see, when we look at the story for the example of how to act in these situations, we learn a little something. Because the Samaritan man had absolutely every single reason not to love the Jewish man. Mm. And if you don't know what I mean, I mean they did not like each other, the Samaritans and the Jews. And it's actually, that's a nice way of putting it, that they did not like each other. Mm. They actually had absolutely nothing they would ever agree upon. It's almost like a Seahawks fan and a Raiders fan. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, we love Damien. But um, no, we... Um, <laughs> But actually, though, when I'm, I'm being serious, though, when I'm saying, like, they hated each other, and I'm not, I'm not even using that word lightly. It actually might even be too light of a word to, this, to explain the relationship between them. And if you want biblical proof for this, you can actually look back just a couple of verses in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. And you mm. see, Jesus, in this time, wanted to travel through Samaria. But the Samaritans actually said, we don't want Jesus. We don't want him to come through our area. And the disciples, and more specifically, not just the disciples, but James and John, people we consider to be fathers of our faith, founders of our faith, great, amazing, godly men, you know what their first reaction was? They said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy Samaria? <laughs> their first reaction was murder. When they got a chance, when they got a small chance to treat the Samaritans how they really wanted to treat them, <laughs> what did they result to? And these are people that go on to write amazing books of the Bible. Mm. They go on to tell their stories and help us to understand true love, but they even deemed certain people okay not to love. Mm. And you see, Jesus, when he tells a story, the Samaritan man didn't spit on the guy, didn't kick him, didn't go home and not care about the man. No, he went and he was filled with compassion and he helped him. You see, and then Christ challenges us at the end of the story, and he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. You see, Christ wants us to love in all situations. So is it ever okay not to love? Definitely not. Because Christ wants us to love in all situations, and that's the fill-in right underneath that question. But we have to break this down a little bit more. Because if we want to do this, if we want to love in all situations, we have to declare something about our lives that might be a little bit difficult to declare. And that means that we must choose to have Christ be the number one thing in our lives above everything else. It means we must choose to follow Christ above everything else in our lives. Mm. Amen. Everything. And this is where we might get a little bit uncomfortable. But I believe that that means that we must choose to be Christians over Americans. Mm. Mm. It means you must choose to follow Christ more than we follow our political parties. Mm. Mm. It means you mu we, we must choose to be more dedicated to Christ than we are to any politician. Mm. And it means we must choose to let Christ lead us into areas where we get truly uncomfortable. Amen. Because we will. 
Amen. Whether that be a conversation, whether that be mm. a family, whether that be a situation, whether that be a friendship, whatever it's gonna be, we must choose to follow Christ into the uncomfortable. Mm. You see, we can't let politics or nationalities get in the way of loving each other. Mm. Amen. We have to stand up for love in everything we see going on around us because that's what Christ would do, right? And so that means that we must stand up for love and try to embody Christ's active love, not just a passive love, not just love as a feeling, but love as a verb, love as an action. We must try to embody that in our own actions and also in how we see other people treat each other. And so what I mean is this, when you get frustrated with a coworker at work, you have to choose love instead of going and yelling at them. Mm. When you get upset because of something, you have to choose love instead of going and giving them a piece of your mind. Students, when someone's mean to you at school, you have to choose love rather than gossiping about them behind their back. You see, we have to choose Amen. love in our own actions, whether, that's be, whether that be how we treat each other, whether that's how we talk about other people, or even how we think about other people, because true love isn't a love that smiles at you, but then goes and thinks another thing about you as I walk the other way, mm. hmm. right? We have to choose love in our own actions, but we also have to stand up for love actively in the relationships we see in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our culture, in our societies, and in our country. Mm. So that means as Christians, we're called to stand up against things like racism, injustice, slander, the, the mm. diminishing of people, people saying that they don't deserve love when they do, people that slander each other, people that tear down other people's characters, we are called to stand up against that actively, not to just say, that's none of my business. Huh. Amen. It doesn't affect me, so I'm, I'm just gonna mm. keep away from it. Mm. We're called to go and say, you know, you know what? Christ calls me to love in this situation and I will fight for his love. I will stand up against mm. racism because that's not how they should treat those people. I will stand up against injustice because they don't deserve to be treated like that, they deserve to be loved. Mm. We have to be active, because let, let me remind you that Jesus didn't call the priest and the Levite who did nothing the true neighbor of the hurting man. Mm. He called the Samaritan the neighbor. Christ wants us to love in all situations, in the way that he would love, not in a praying for you, mm. the way that mm. he would love. And that means that he wants us to love in all situations actively. So if we understand that, if we can truly understand that, we can also move on to ask a second question. So if we want to love in all situations, how come there are still people that I just struggle to love? Mm. How do we love those that we struggle to love? It's your second question. Mm. How many of you, uh, the kids in here or even adults have siblings? Right, so you understand there are going to be people that are hard to love sometimes, right? Amen. Even those that are closest to you, right? But it, it, it extends more than just siblings. It extends to more people than just siblings. It extends to, for you, like kids in the room, like I said, those mean friends, those bullies at school. We struggle to love them. It extends to people that gossip about you. It extends to former bosses, former mm. family members former relationships, you know, that ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, or ex-wife, or ex-husband that has hurt you. Mm. We struggle to love all those people, and we might even struggle to love an ex-pastor or an ex-body of Christ that we once felt so belonged in, welcomed in, mm. but have since hurt us. It can even be the person you struggle to love can even be yourself. It can even be someone that you normally love with all your heart, but has recently said something or done something that has hurt you and you don't know how to forgive them. We all have people that we struggle to love. So how do we love them? It's, it's honestly really simple, so I won't drag this on forever, but we must learn to see them how God sees them. Mm. Because let me, let me go back to the story really quick, to the story of the Samaritan and the Jewish man who was hurting on the ground. That Samaritan man did not see the Jewish man on the ground as he would have normally seen him. 
Because if he viewed him as a typical Samaritan would have viewed him, he would have been happy. We're just gonna be honest here. He would have maybe even thrown in an extra kick. He would have spit on him. He would have been overjoyed to go home and tell his friends about, you cannot believe what I just saw. Because hmm. he got he, what he deserved, right? He did not see him with hate. He did not see him with anger. He did not see him as someone different than him. He saw him how God saw him. Hmm. He saw him as someone who was hurting and needing of saving and deserving of love. Now, the Samaritan man, what I love about this is the Samaritan man didn't know that a priest or a Levite had just walked by. He didn't know, and he didn't use this as his example to be like, wow, I'm so much better than the priest and the Levite. I'm so much better than them, and I'm going to help you out. He had no clue. All he did was he saw the man, and the Bible tells us he was filled with compassion, so he acted. He didn't care about his surroundings. Some people actually will say that it actually was maybe more dangerous to help someone on that side of the road than it was to leave them alone because sometimes the robbers or the thieves would actually act as someone that had just gotten jumped to then catch you by surprise. He let none of this cloud his judgment. He saw the man as God saw him, who, someone who needed help, and he helped him. Mm. He showed love. He showed compassion. And if we can just learn to ask for that and to do that, everything changes. You see, when you stop viewing those people that you struggle to love in your lives how you view them, you suddenly let go of anger. You suddenly let go of all the mean things you've said about them. You suddenly let go of everything that you've held against them. And when you start to see them how God sees them, you can't help but see someone who is made perfect in God's sight. You can't help but see someone who is a masterpiece. You can't help but see someone who is considered wholly loved. You can't, you can't help but see someone who is deserving of love just as much as you are. Hmm. And when you do that, things change. And I want to argue it's because you start to see them in who they truly are, which is made in the image of God. Hmm. And who are we to tell them that they don't deserve love? So how do we love those we struggle to love? We must learn to see them how God sees them. Amen. I, I have to tell you how honored I am that I get to do this with this young man. Um, I mean, I'll forgive him for the picture he showed earlier. <laughs> wow, my bride and I look at each other because... She's just lucky enough she wasn't in that picture because she was there when we were doing that. But if you're questioning or wondering what is the Lord doing in the hearts and the minds of our young people who are keeping their eyes on Jesus, here it is right here. So, um, amen. So church, we've got a third question, and this one actually has some blanks to fill in. And so for those of you who are blank fillers, and I know you are motivated by the Holy Spirit to do it, so here are some blanks for you to fill in. The third question is this. Can we even speak the names of those we don't love or find it hard to love? Can we speak their names? Now, as I ask this question out loud, most of you will probably say very easily and maybe even quietly under your breath, well, of course I can. But is that what actually happens? I was at an event just a few weeks ago. Um, uh, There's a lady who wrote a book. Um, her name is Austin Channing Brown. And they had a discussion just about the journey in writing this book. And it started out with the power of knowing your name. And when somebody says your name isn't what your name is because her first name was Austin. Now I won't get into all the depths behind why her parents named her Austin, but she did note how it was that she was expected to be received as opposed to how she was actually received. Because when people would walk up to see an Austin, here was this young black woman. And Austin wasn't exactly the name 
of a young black woman. When you begin to know and understand the name of someone, now all of a sudden what doesn't happen is the danger of the word or the phrase, those people. There's an amazing, dangerous thing that occurs in a conversation. I have been in them. Let me see if I can speak to this for you guys. Have you found yourself ever saying, you know, I really can't stand fill in the blank. Fill in the blank's not a name, that's just whoever it is <laughs> you choose to think of. Now the danger hasn't happened with that comment. The danger happens when you speak that to someone else who then in turn responds, you know what, I can't stand them either. And now all of a sudden two of you have decided that someone is less than. But now the question is less than what? I'm just gonna ask this question. For my kids who are here, my first graders, second graders, third graders, fourth graders, can you guys look at me for just a quick second, okay? Who are you made in the image of? Oh, they're scared to death right now, okay. <laughs> it's three letters, first one starts with a, for, for, with a G, okay. There it is. For my middle schoolers, my high schoolers, who are you made in the image of? And you think you get older, you think your voice would get a little more bolder, but no. For my adults, who are you made in the image of? God. There it is. And if we can have that base understanding that we are made in the image of Almighty God, what does that now require of us? It requires us to do some different thinking and some different processing. Now church, I'm a visual person. I like to see a thing, and if I can see a thing, I can track with you. If you try to explain a thing to me, if you see my head do this, <laughs> I ain't with you. But I'm not gonna tell you that. I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm, I'm. But that head tells you everything you need to know. I have no idea what you're talking about. But give me a picture of it, there I am. Now I'm tracking with you. So guys, if you'll notice underneath that question, that third question, blank space is there, okay? The reason why is so if you wanted to write down some notes of what God might be saying to you or might show to you and kind of is working you over this morning, go ahead and write that down. Challenge yourself, write that down. But now we're gonna do a little test. And this test is a visual test. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at some images of some people. And as you see these images, what I'm gonna challenge you to do first off is this. I want you to identify every single one that you see that is not made in the image of God. Now, you might look at this and you might go, oh, well, this is easy. I, I know what to do here. Wait till you see the images first, okay? And be honest with yourself, all right? Here we go, no music, no anything. Let's just look, you process, you write down. Now, I know some of those images were people that as soon as you saw their faces, you knew exactly who they were. And then there were some people you had no idea who you were, got no response from you. You just looked at them and it's like, what? But then there were some people that you saw that you had no idea who they were and it still elicited a response. 
You just didn't let it out. But was there anyone there who was not made in the image of God? Now, church, this can sometimes get a little sensitive because of those of us who have uh, strong, passionate feelings towards the rest of creation. Some of us have a special place in our hearts for baby giraffes and baby gorillas and baby anything that walks on four legs. Or we just love babies. And we look at them and we go, oh, I see God. Some of us look at landscapes. We see waterfalls and we see mountains and we'll see canyons and rivers and lakes. And I got to tell you, living here in the Northwest, we don't have to go far to find that. Amen. Amen. And a lot of us, we'll get there and we'll go, wow, you see God. Some of us enjoy these amazing pictures that the Hubble telescope gets for us. And we'll look on there and we'll see colors and images and things that most of us, if not all of us, will never see up close, personal in our lifetime. Not while we're here on this earth. And we look at that and we go, wow, I see God. But here is our reality. Based upon what the word of God tells us, God did not make us in the image of gorillas and giraffes. God did not make us in the image of waterfalls and mountains. God did not make us in the image of what we get to see through the Hubble telescope. He made us in his image. And to be made in his image and to acknowledge that is the beginning of understanding of what it means to acknowledge the humanity in each other. For the moment you step into a place where you begin to reduce someone less than what the image of God speaks to them to be, you have now said they are no longer human. Now, as I say that, that probably gets a little uncomfortable and you go, wow, Damien, I thought we were talking about the Good Samaritan and we got the kids here today. But here's an amazing thing that happens. Some of our kids here today looked up there, and kids, if I can talk to you for a second, that very first picture, there was a little boy with braces on. Have you ever made fun of a kid just because he's got braces on and you don't? Or maybe there's a kid that's overweight, and you make fun of him because of his size. Or maybe there's a little girl that's got red hair, and because it's not like your hair. Or maybe there's a kid with skin color like mine. So isn't it amazing that as for this August family month, this reduction of less than what the image of God says we are begins so early. So kids, students, adults, I want you to understand that when you begin to honor the image bearers that you live with every single day, you begin to acknowledge them as human. And when you do that, you now afford yourself an opportunity to do something amazing because now you begin to honor God when you honor those made in his image. I'm not saying don't love the puppies and the babies and the waterfalls and the mountains, but Jesus did not come to die for those. He sent his son, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and me. You know, church, there's a, an interesting process that happens when we think about the lawyer who asked the simple question, so who is my neighbor? It's a common question. I've asked it. You've asked it. With family, we're going to be real today. And we don't ask it so we can identify who is. We usually ask it because we want to make sure we know who doesn't have to be. And that way we can walk on by or we can let the car drive on by while we're trying to figure out our answer. Oh, well, we're already past him now, and so we just keep on going. Just being real. We're just being real, okay? So how is it that we begin to step into this space of beginning to see people the way that God made them as made in his image? Maybe it just begins as simple as the thing I started out with is just getting to know their name. 
See, somebody can be those people and that person until you get their name. And when you get their name, now all of a sudden, something changes. It's called the story changes. Because now your story is now intersecting with theirs. Because you've now met them. Maybe after meeting their name, getting their name, maybe listen to their story. Because an amazing thing happens when we listen to one another. We learn. And you may begin to hear something that you've never heard before. I would hope and pray that you would. Simply why? Because of this. They're made in the image of God. And he only made one of them. And you're now being blessed and honored to be in their presence to hear what God has been doing in their life. And how you might possibly be a part of that. Church, I know that when it comes to loving those that are difficult to love, even when we know their name, we find ourselves wondering, how do we do this? As Daniel so eloquently put, how do we do this? Well, church, I just want to share a story with you. I was hoping to show a video, but I'm just going to go ahead and just share it verbally with you. Um, there's a brother in Christ. Uh, his name is Bob Goff. Bob is a, he's a lover of Jesus. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a lawyer. And he's just one of those guys that you just want to go have lunch with. I mean, if you just heard him and listened to him, you would go, hey, you hungry? Let's go get a bite to eat. Let's hang out. He's the kind of guy you want to hang out with. Because when he talks to you and he's sharing with you, he talks so much about his own life and his own story. And what he's found is this, through the power of love, you can do stuff. And that's what he talks about. And that's what he just encourages people to do. Just go do stuff. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just go, just think about the Samaritan. Did he have that all figured out? Did he start his day out knowing, probably gonna run across a guy almost dead, better be ready for that. No. He turns the corner, there he is, and he did stuff. So he finds himself, Bob does, doing stuff. He goes to Uganda, because that's what you do when you want to do stuff. You go to Uganda. He goes to Uganda, and he just wants to do stuff. He just wants to help. And what he finds out as a lawyer is that there's these laws that have been sitting on their books of their country. Laws that don't protect the people and laws that don't produce justice. And he decides, well, let's take some of these laws on. After all, I'm a lawyer. It's what I do. And so he took on a couple of these laws, and guess what happened? He won. And so he kind of kept going with this, and then he came across one particular law that had to do with a culture that exists within Uganda. And this culture is very steeped, it's very powerful, and it has to do with a segment of Ugandans who practice witchcraft. They're witch doctors. And the thing that they were doing is that they were kidnapping little ones, children, for the purpose of using parts of their body for the practice of magic because they believe that, that there's a lot of magic within a child. Most of these children don't survive this, but one little boy, we're gonna call him Charlie, did. And Bob got to meet Charlie. And Bob looks at Charlie and says, Charlie, you're alive for a reason. God has you here for a purpose. Let's say you and I take this on and see if we can't make a difference. Charlie's just a little boy, but he goes, okay. And so, after some searching, Bob finds, finally finds a judge, because that's not easy to find in Uganda, a judge who's willing to try this in court. As a matter of fact, this judge had to have his house surrounded with armed guards during the whole court proceedings, because this wasn't popular. But at the conclusion of this trial, this particular witch doctor who had done what he'd done to Charlie, his name is Kabe, was sentenced to 50 years in prison. Now we would hear that and from just a simple sense of justice, we would go, yes, God wins, that's love, here we go. But no, not exactly. You see, 
Sometime later, Bob gets a letter from this witch doctor who's in prison. And the witch doctor says, I want you to come see me because I now have found that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Now you say, wow, Bob says no. No, he doesn't get Jesus. He doesn't get Jesus. He doesn't get salvation. He doesn't get love. No, because I know what he's done. And that's why he's in jail. But Bob decides, all right, I'll go. So he travels and he arrives at the prison and Kabe thanks him so much for coming. And he says, listen, I know I'm probably gonna die in here, but here's what I wanna do. There's 3,000 men on death row in this prison for a prison that's built to hold 1,000 men. 3,000 men are there on death row and I wanna speak Jesus to them and I wanna share him with them. And Bob goes, no, no, that's not how this works. You don't get to do that. Not after what you've done. But as Bob's having this internal argument, they're on their way in to where the men are. And next thing you know, Kabe is up in front of these men and he's talking and he's sharing. And Bob says that when Kabe got done, he said, you wanna know what happened? He said, well, first of all, he didn't get anything right. He messed it all up. The story, he didn't get anything in the right order or anything. The only thing he got right was Jesus. But by getting that part right, here come all these men now responding and giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And Bob's going, no, 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 you don't, this isn't how this is supposed to work. But Kabe, he grabs a bottle of water, he starts pouring it over guys' hands, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. And Bob's going, stop, no, that's, wait a minute, you can't, oh, shoot. Because it was happening. And love was there. And Bob became changed in his understanding of who his neighbor was and who, even there in a prison, is made in the image of God. Here's the bottom line, guys, and we're going to get you out of here. The bottom line is God helps us love our neighbor. After you've been hearing all of this from Daniel and I, we want you to know that if you're under the impression that this is a, all right, I guess I gotta, and I guess I need to, and I guess I, mm, then we apologize. You need to understand that loving anyone in the way that God wants us to love one another is going to demand him being a part of it, if not all of it for you. God helps us love our neighbor. How? by helping us understand this significant difference. When we say the word love, a lot of us understand the feelings of love, which is good. Feelings of love are healthy. That's how God made us. That's how a lot of us husbands and wives get together because there's that feeling of love. There hasn't been a whole lot of action at that point. That's why a lot of you kids showed up here because there was a feeling of love. But we hadn't started raising you yet, so. Hey, when we begin to understand that the feeling of love is always preceded by the action of love, we begin to understand why the Good Samaritan holds his place that he does for us and why Jesus shared that story. Feelings are good. But most of us, if we were going to stop and remember a time when we were loved, there was an action. So we learn how God helps us love our neighbor when we understand that the verb of love always precedes the feeling of love. God helps us love our neighbor. And church, when we begin to understand that, and understand that every single person in this room and every single person you will ever meet in your lifetime is made in his image. Mm -hmm. You will be released to do something amazing. Mm -hmm. Right now, we've got an opportunity. We're gonna hang out with the Riley family for a little bit and they're gonna talk us through a little bit more about what does it mean to love our neighbor. They got something good to share with you today. Church, let's take a look at this.
threw the balloon at me, and then I threw it at her, and then she threw it at me, and then it floated away. Okay? Watch this float away. Hey! Ooh, was I supposed to see something impressive? You know, I used to be good at games, and sports, and other hairstyles. Hey, isn't that the name of some boy band you like? Hairstyles? You mean Harry Styles, Aunt Cat? Right. Oh, he's that concert you went to. Sure. Yeah, Zoe and I went last month, and he is so good. I'll take your word for it. Oh, uh, the music was amazing. Harry is so cool, and Zoe had fun for the most part. What do you mean, for the most part? Well, on the way there, Zoe and I ran into a homeless man. Where was your dad? Well, he had to pay for parking, but while he was gone, we saw this man sitting on the curb with a cup out for money, and... I wanted to give him some of the money I brought for merch, but Zoe was totally freaking out. And I told her it wasn't a big deal. He wasn't even bothering us, but she was totally panicking. Hmm. Well, what did you do? I didn't know what to do, so I froze. Then Dad came back, and we went to the concert, and I felt weird about it the entire night. Hmm. So I thought I could give him some of my money on the way back, but by then he was gone. Well, did you get a chance to talk to Zoe about it? I tried, but she was pretty closed up about it. She was really defensive and uncomfortable, so I dropped it. I see, so why do you think you felt so weird? Well, I just kept thinking about the Good Samaritan. We talked about that last week in youth group, and I, you know how you're supposed to love your neighbor? Mm -hmm. Well, the guy in the story didn't even know the man who got beat up, but he helped him anyway, and I just thought that the homeless man was kind of like the man who needed help. Hmm. So why do you think that he was your responsibility? Well, I know Jesus wants me to love others, right? And that includes the homeless, right? I like your perspective, Kendall, and I agree. So why do you think Zoe was so uncomfortable? I don't know. I mean, he looked kind of dirty and maybe a little scary. Yeah, it can be scary to face the unknown, and I bet Zoe was just unsure of what to expect. But you know, you guys were together and your dad wasn't far away. You weren't alone. So Zoe was wrong to react that way? Well, I don't think it's a matter of right and wrong necessarily, but I think Zoe has her own experiences that shape the way that she reacts. And I think it's just important to remember that we need to walk out what God calls us to despite our fears. So when I feel God calling me to give to someone, I should do it even if I'm a little scared? Yeah, I think I can do that. Good. I like your confidence. But Aunt Kat, if we're called to love our neighbor, why are there still so many people in need? What do you mean? Well, if we're supposed to help people and love them the way Jesus does, why are there... It doesn't make sense that there are still so many people who no one is helping. I think some people are so caught up in their own fear and busyness to listen to what God is calling them to do in the moment. Yeah, you're probably right, Kendall. I know I've dealt with that when I felt pulled to do something, but I don't because maybe I'm afraid or it's inconvenient or I just don't want to. I know I felt that way too. It's not an easy problem to solve, but some people feel differently about it, like you and Zoe. But I know Zoe and I know that she wants to help people, especially those who really need it. She was probably just scared or caught off guard. Yeah, we both know Zoe's heart. Maybe she just needs a friend to come alongside her and show her what loving your neighbor could really look like. That's a good point, Aunt Kat. And I know there's a lot of things that she can help me see differently too. Exactly, what are friends for? But um, how could we take this a step further? Huh? Well, what's something that you could do today to help people in need? I don't know. I could give some of my babysitting money to people on the street. Well, that's a really good idea. And maybe you could talk to Zoe and see kind of what she's been thinking since that experience. And, and you guys could talk together about how you could help. Hey, uh, am I too late to challenge the winner? I believe that's my cue. <laughs> Get on in here. Yes. Kendall's a pro at this game. I knew you'd win. You're gonna lose yeah. to me. Probably. Always do. Dad, are you sure I'm ready for this? Well, son, you were technically ready for this two years ago, but you've stubbornly refused to go near the, uh, uh, what do you call this thing? The twirling terror whip. 
yeah, that's it. Listen, it's perfectly safe, and, you know, it helps if you wear protective eyewear. I'd put those on. These are swimming goggles. Oh, they'll be fine. These are for water, not for flying rocks. Son, it's not a big deal. You'll uh, be safe. Rocks are harder than water. Uh, rocks that, uh, are harder than water. Okay, it's not going to fling rocks at your eyes. It's not a lawnmower. It's a horrifying buzzsaw for grass. That may be, but the grass has to be buzzsawn. <laughs> I can't do this. You're trying to kill me. I'm out. Ryan, okay. <laughs> uh, we're heading out. We will see you later tonight. Oh, all right. Well, uh, did you girls decide what you're doing tonight? Oh, we're going to go downtown and pass out sandwiches and water bottles to the people on the streets. Oh, well, that's an excellent idea. How did you come up with that? Actually, it was my idea. Kendall and I were talking about what I could do, and I might not have a lot of money, but I can make a mean PB&J. Oh, well, that's awesome. I hope you girls have fun. Shotgun! You're the only one old enough to drive! Not again! Man, maybe it's just as simple as that. Guys, before we get out of here, can I just pray for us? Lord God, thank you for what you laid in front of us today. Thank you that the Good Samaritan story is timeless. That the depth of it, Lord, is something we're still uncovering. Thank you, Lord, that you've made North Shore a safe place where we can stop and we can talk about some real things. About what we really see and what we really feel and what we really think. And then we can line it up against your word, Lord, and just say, ooh, help us, God. Because what we all desire is to be like your son, Jesus. Thank you that you gave him to us, Lord. Thank you that he's constantly pressing into our lives. Thank you that he loves us with an unimaginable love. A love that is reckless, a love that is endless, a love that is powerful, and a love that is available for anyone and everyone. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Lord today. And thank you for calling us into uncomfortable spaces where there's people out there that we're gonna become to understand. What does it mean for us to be a neighbor to them? Help us, Lord. We cannot do it without you. So as we go, Lord, we do it in your name, and we do it in the name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. God bless you guys, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care.